transfer PG on the map for Wales. He's flirted with the wrestler Adrian Street, and he'll make a song about anything. From Wirral, Merseyside, UK, meet and greet Don Woods. So, a very good day, and let's have a little look at our date, the 30th of August. Um, this year has absolutely been flying by, and um, we've had sort of strange weather. It's been roasting hot. Now it seems like uh, we've got storms, because this time of the year we get what we call the Gotafria, which is when the rain really does hammer down. And, of course, great danger for everybody uh, out and about. But um, let's keep our fingers crossed and get across to Wirral, Merseyside. Notice I didn't say the Wirral because I didn't want to get things off to a bad start. So, uh, Don, are you there? And good morning. And how are you? I am here, Vince. Um, it's nice to know you get places' names correct. Yeah. If you don't mind me saying so. No. Yeah, fine. Yeah, it's been uh, the weather's been nice here. Actually, we've been lucky. Just, just perfect, really. Last week it was, you know, low twenties, lovely, just, just nice. You know? Well, we are going from forties uh, down to about twenty three, twenty four as I speak. So uh, it gets oppressive, Donna. You know, there's no, you can't really put too fine a word on it. You've got to go yeah. out. If you don't go out and walk by about 11 o'clock, um, then you've had it. So you may as well stay indoors, do what you can indoors, and then hopefully pick it up again round about, say, 6 o'clock at night. So that's yeah. the way that we live he here. So, okay, well, now then, uh, you've had a lot of uh, protests about climate change anyway. It looks like, um, y you know, no matter what goes on, there'll always be somebody who wants to go out and protest. Yeah. When you look at the problems at the moment in the world, like the Afghanistan problems, you know, they're real problems, those. They're re real problems. And what we have is all of a sudden, the, 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 they decide to protest, a bunch of protesters against um, climate change, you know, which can wait these protests can wait oh no off they go climate change and they block all the roads marching up and down carrying banners half of them not having a clue what they're protesting about uh, with the police having to try to sort it all out as if they haven't got enough to do you know and all the businesses who are trying to recover from the last 18 months being badly affected with, with idiots blocking the roads you know I don't know what this lot hope to achieve there are ways and means of being heard this not being one of them on the good side there have been many arrests so hopefully you know they'll get their just desserts I just don't get what it is with them you know there are enough problems at the moment to be solved in the world you know, as I say, Afghanistan and and, and, and the America thing floods. It, it's it's you know what is it with them? They've got to go out and protest, and half of them they just do it. 
to, to do it. I don't think they, they, they've got any idea what they're doing because it serves no purpose whatsoever. Well, well, I can't understand really what you're saying straight away about um, being arrested and then being given a treacle pudding. Because, <laughs> you know, I don't know what uh, just desserts means anymore because quite oh, frankly, thanks. you know, the police, the, the police catch them. Uh, obviously, they're, they're, they're not going to... Uh, not going to stop them being arrested but by the time they go to jail the problem really is that the judges are out of touch with reality these Absolutely. these tend to be um loony left wingers who have made a lot of money who um are, are judging all these students who are going out probably i don't know because i'm only uh, telling you from my experience at the college that I worked at, um, there's probably one or two lecturers who are basically telling them all the things that they should be doing, like going out and and uh, putting the placards, etc. But they don't really understand that if you're a college lecturer, um, it's not quite the same as being the entrepreneur that has to make the money, that has to pay the bills, that has to try and keep society going. I think the problem is a lot of the left-wing teaching tends not to understand the economics of why things have to be in a certain way. Now, I don't really think it's a bad thing for, for people to protest, but no, I do no, think no, I think no it's problem. a bad thing for people to do what they're doing, which is stopping other people from... Uh, it's impinging on other people's freedoms, really. Exactly, exactly. That's exactly... You're exactly right. And that, that's the problem with it. And you, as you say with the judges... You know, they come down from their country mansions. You know, if some of these judges had, judges had been burgled or or, or or knocked about, you know, um, robbed, they'd have a different outlook. But they don't. You know, they, they come down and, oh, yes, uh, you can have uh, 30 days community service. These people need throwing in jail. They need teaching a lesson. Yeah. You know, which they don't get, as you say, but the judges are out of touch totally. You know, they need they need judges who who have suffered in a way, you know, in, in uh, experienced crime, but they haven't. Well, I think that's the problem. I, I, I think that the judges, without doubt in my mind, they are out of touch. I think the um, the lecturers who were talking about the climate change, um, some of them won't really understand that they're a little bit out of touch. Uh, because, mm. you know, when you see pictures of things uh, like icebergs melting, it's dynamic and you do worry a little bit that maybe this is part of something going on. Um, however, you do also bear in mind what you said to me a few weeks ago that it's cyclical and that there are times when you have the ice age, times when you've had uh, other types of ages and, yeah. you know, unfortunately, I think this is part and parcel of what we're doing. Plus, there's no real point in Britain uh, crippling its own economy whilst the likes of China and the United States and Germany and other uh, polluting countries are busy belching out um, masses of smoke and, and polluting the atmosphere. You know, it, it's it's almost like you're preaching to the converted. Go and go and uh, have a look at the targets a little bit more closely, because quite honestly, I think that's what's happening. You, you, these people are targeting the wrong people. That's right. Well, apparently they blocked off the electric 
train line station. Well, you know, the electric train line station is saving the planet, if you like. You know, it's electric. But oh no, no. You see, and I, I, I just, I think all of a sudden we've got to buy electric cars. This will be next. Buy electric cars. The price of them is, is astronomical at the moment. So you think like, oh yeah, yeah, we've all got to go out and buy electric cars so someone's going to make loads of money again. I can't see it making any difference. As you say, this country is just like a postage stamp on the world. We're very, very small and, and it's not going to make any difference. And when you go out into Wales, you can drive miles and not see anything, just fields and massive mountains and, and landscape. You know, it's not as if everybody's filling the roads with, with all this smoke. Maybe they are, but I don't think so. And I think if the icebergs are melting, it will happen anyway, as it has done in the past. You know, and as I said the other week, uh, in Shrewsbury, I went into a museum and um, they had a line on the wall 12 feet above, above the floor. And I looked up at this and it had a, a notice. This is where the river came up to in the early 1800s. And the river's 30 feet below, going past. So you think, like, why did it rise then? Is it uh, diesel cars, you know, in, in 1801? You see, it's always been that way and always will be. But, oh, no, you get these experts, you know, we can save the planet. As if you're going to save the planet. As if you're going to save the planet blocking the roads in London, you know, yeah. and marching around like a bunch of idiots. Well, don't... To me... I, 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 I don't know whether what I tell you and, and you know, try and um, share with you is, uh, is tr totally true or totally not true. But from what I read and from what I've seen in various places about this great reset. Now, this is a these are documents that are on government websites throughout the world. You, you can go and read these even on the UK uh, and the Spanish websites. It's that most people don't. And they are saying that they are trying not to have uh, ownership of cars. That's what they're aiming towards. So that, you know, everything is owned. We don't own our houses. We don't our, own our cars. Everything is in the con under the control of these Elon Musk-type people who basically want to see everything under control um uh, yet yeah. of course whilst they're telling us this and while it's written and i have seen some of this stuff um they themselves are off on a jolly to outer space creating more of a carbon footprint in an hour than you and i will put together in a couple of days a couple of years sorry um you know the whole thing is difficult to understand but I think if you look around uh, um, the world, and last night I was watching a program on China, and when you look at the billions that are moving around uh, in China and in India and these overpopulated countries, um, it does make the United Kingdom's contribution of uh, 70 million um, pale into insignificance, really. So I suppose what we better do is we better move on to some equality because because basically you know uh, I, i'm going to go very woke on you now uh, so we'll wake you up and get you to talk about equality yeah uh, apparently there's going to be a production of a shakespeare play with a full cast of just black women 
you know, which uh, there's not a lot you can say about that really. It's it. it uh, I don't know what the play is, but apparently this is what's going to happen. Now, I'm not racist. I mean, everybody says it, but I'm not. I never have been racist. I don't. I don't care. Everybody's the same. I don't see this as my country. I just see it as rocks and, and, and hills. Anyone can come here as long as they obey the rules, which, which is why, how we survive. That's my opinion. I don't care who comes in. I'm not. I don't mind what colour or creed they are. It makes no difference to me whatsoever. So really, I don't need to see all the time black faces of, of folk in adverts. You know, that all of a sudden there's this increase in, in black folk in adverts. Every advert has at least one or all, you know, like a token black person, which, you know, I don't... As the point has been made with it all, with taking the knee, the point has been made. You know, I don't need reminding, you know, as I say... I don't require obvious reminders, put it that way. But then again, maybe some people do. Maybe I'm sure they do. And if it solves problems, then it has to be right. But it gets a bit tiresome. It's as if they're sort of, you know, this is it. This is what you've got to you've got to understand. I understand it anyway. You know, it's never been a problem. I think and it certainly um... hasn't around Liverpool. Because we have a Chinese community in Liverpool, you know, and there's lots of ethnic people all over the place. Mm. It doesn't make any difference to me whatsoever. But so I don't really need it thrust at me all the time. On comes the news. We've got a new newsreader, black person, which you know, fine, you know. But but it, it, they're trying to make a point all the time to me. And I think. It, and it um, need making. Yeah, I think what's being overlooked is that Britain predominantly was not was never a black country uh, the reason for this is probably that it's uh, the proximity or the lack of proximity to the equator um, whether or not uh, it's uh, not the way I should be looking at this but I think that's where most of the black people would come from originally nearer the equator because I think the skin is designed to withstand the sun a bit more I don't know whether that's a bit oversimplified but um, the problems had, of course, been caused by the likes of the slave traders um, oh, yeah. and yeah. various people who wanted to capitalise. And I mean, I don't care what colour anybody is in the respect of slavery. It's the most despicable, horrible crime for me to take somebody and try and make them your slave. Absolutely despicable. Um, of course, Liverpool, uh, we are very lucky in the fact that um, we did have Wilberforce, uh, who was predominantly helping to solve the problems of slavery. Wilberforce, by the way, came from Hull, so that was another port, a port that was involved. Um, and I do think that the problems really, in a very, very general sense, uh, stem from the fact that... Um, if you look at, say, Shakespeare, Shakespeare was never a black person, and the people that he had around him, from what I've ever seen, were not black people. So if you took the um, similar scenario and say we're going to have a, a Nelson Man Mandela film, and you have all white actors who basically are going to play the part of black people, 
it's it becomes nonsensical because we've got enough black people enough great black actors to do the job similarly if you're going to make this point if this is what they want to do um, what they're doing is making a joke out of something that should not be made a joke i think by all means we should work and strive for greater equality in everything not just racism but certainly i mean if you listen to uh, the black news uh, readers they they are very eloquent uh, obviously started off with um, trevor mcdonald clive myrie and people like that are taking the baton and you know these people are well educated they are very very good at what they do um, but what they'll do now is they'll spoil the attitude of people who feel they want to be tolerant people like you people like me well you see it, it's like the second world war it wasn't my war i wasn't there you know i was on holiday many years ago many years ago uh, and when i was early 20s with the lads and i was talking to this german guy we went to a party and there's a there's a germans funny running the party and he said to me oh you know we had a drink oh he says now we're all friends the war is over i said it wasn't my war and i said it wasn't yours i said you know i don't what happened in the war was terrible but i said it's not your fault because you went there exactly you know and and he said yeah i, I mean my my grandmother was german as it happens but you know it, it's it's like this 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 slavery i wasn't there it's nothing it's nothing to do with me you know my family weren't, weren't involved in it. it's terrible but you see you, you, it's like the women you, you go on the news and the one that's all women reading the news there's one bloke you got to spot the bloke in the morning and women you know it's like it's as if they're making a point you know and maybe they're not maybe it's just me you know but you know it's I, I don't know it's it's and the football you see you got women playing football and women playing rugby and boxing which is fine but you know what? What is the point? What is the point of, of women playing rugby? I, I just don't get. Oh it no! At co all. Come on, Don. This I've got to really take issue with you on this one because basically I don't yeah. have I don't have any problem with any female um, taking up sport and uh, enjoying it. I don't have a problem with that. Um, similarly, uh, you, you know, if you get the odd guy who likes knitting and needlework, and Tom Daly was, <laughs> you know, diving off the springboard one minute and knitting a pair of. Um, um, mittens or something the next I mean on his, on, his, on his way down you've got to remember the whole object of the the whole exercise is to try and mix everybody up I mean I was watching a football uh, panel thing yesterday um, and you know it's uh, two women are hosting it and uh, then you know the uh, the fellas that come in who have been professional footballers are the uh, the panelists I mean you know the thing is um, it's all this business of mixing us up that's what's going on all the time it's so silly at times now it's almost comical which is a great link um, because otherwise I'm going to become a little bit um, like a, a certain brand and it, you just have the same message all the time so there's a, a Joe brand what is this Joe brand? <laughs> Very good, Vince. You're very good. I'm well impressed. <laughs> Joe Brown. Uh, I'm a fan, actually. I think she's great. Uh, I think she's a good comedian. And I think she's a very, very nice person. She's an ex-nurse. Um, has done a lot. And she's, she's, she's a great woman. 
really. And she's very funny, you know, I think so. I think she's great. But um, th there was a, a programme discussing great comedy moments over the years. And it was very a very funny programme with some classic moments from the two Ronnies, all their sketches, to Monty Python and the classic Morecambe and Wise sketch with Andre Previn, which, I mean, when you think of that sketch, you have one of the world's greatest musicians and conductors sending himself up, you know, with Eric Morecambe. Well, you've seen it. Brilliant, everybody. brilliant. I loved it. Playing the piano and uh, Ernie Wise dancing alongside him. And when you, when you see it again, every time you see it, it's funny. And when he gets hold of Andre Previn, and says he's playing all the right notes, but not in the right order. When you look at the band at the back, the, the, the orchestra, they're all killing themselves laughing. You know, and I thought, it's fantastic that someone like that will set themselves up. For Andre Previn to do that shows what a great bloke he actually is, you know, because he, he doesn't have to do that, does he? Because no. he's brilliant. And, but I, 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 one of my all-time favourites was missed out on this and it, it has been for years I've never seen it again since and it was on a show called Alas Smith and Jones featuring Mel Smith and Griff Reese Jones he had this series and, I, and it was very good but one classic moment which you see with comedy to me I, I, I don't laugh I laugh more at the thought behind it yes. somebody sat down and thought this out. It's like the Monty Python stuff. You know, to sit down around a table and come up with these ideas yeah. is funnier than the actual thing itself. And this was one of them. And it was, it was, it, it, it had, they had Griff, um, Mel Smith rather, in a, in a recording studio. And in walks Richard Attenborough, Sir Richard Attenborough. He comes in and he's just discussing how he's just completed the film Gandhi and he's saying yes Gandhi it took so so long to make three years in the making and we've perfected it and he's going on about this I said all we need now is the music and Mel Smith said I've got just the man he said you'll be here in a minute and Griff Reese Jones rolls up on a bike with a banjo and he comes into the studio and, and Richard Attenborough is, is acting his brilliance he's sort of looking horrified at this and he says wait till you hear the music and he sits down and he starts going blank 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 and he said I was walking down the street feeling kind of randy who was coming the other way me old candy now when you think this is the music to one of the greatest films ever made and Richard Attenborough. Uh, I, I, it's still laugh now. It's still this was like twenty odd years ago, mm -hmm. and um, Richard Attenborough just sits there, looking stone faced, and he just says, "Get him out of here." <laughs> now, to me, that was that was to arrive on a bike with a banjo <laughs> for the music for Gandhi. See, a lot of people probably wouldn't find it funny, but to me, it was genius, and that was possibly my second favourite uh, comedy script ever. The first being Monty Python, um, Life of Brian, I thought, the, the, the Caesar bit in the, in the top there, when he had the lisp, I thought that was just so funny. <laughs> but yeah, 
great, you know. But I like I like good comedy, and and it shows there's still there's not a lot around at the moment. You know, it seems to be losing its way, comedy, yeah. because of the uh, you can't say this and you can't say that brigade. But uh, I thought it, it, that that program was great with Joe Brown. She made a real good job of it and well, picked out some. I I used to fun. like the Billy Cotton Band Show, and I think there will be a, a a new show coming out soon, which will be called. Wokey wokey. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, you're right. wokey wokey. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. But it, it's 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 silly and and it's it's like the women's football. So just to go on about it. I mean, fine. I'm not saying it's wrong to, for women's play, but I don't know any women who like watching football. Is oh, I I do. You see. What, I, I do. That, that's the difference. I, I've got. I mean, and my wife loves to watch the match with me. Oh, well, uh, her mum used to be totally, utterly a Liverpool red. You know, if I criticised the team, she'd uh, she'd play hell with me. You know, and uh, oh, uh, anyway, that's that was that. And um, going back to um, comedy, I mean, comedy is so subjective, and I'm always prepared to listen to another person's point of view. Um, I mean, Joe Brand for me is like uh, it's like having piles. Actually, it's like uh, dis- discussing something which really you really don't like one bit. I just think that she's about as as funny as a pork chop at a Jewish festival. That's how funny I think she is. It's just it's just as funny. But that's that's the beauty of comedy. You do find things. I mean, in things that you've talked about, yes. I really did enjoy the Gandhi sketch. I did enjoy um, the the uh, other sketches. I mean, Monty Python I used to like. But again, I have uh, various Monty Python sketches that I liked. In particular, I did like the dinner ladies. I thought that was funny. Yeah, what you got? Egg, sausage, and bacon. Uh, spam egg, sausage, and spam, spam, spam. I mean, it just is funny. And it still stands the test of time. Um, John Cleese, brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, but well, what made the life of Brown for me was the Yanks didn't get it. They didn't get it. They, they banned it because it was sacrilegious. They completely missed the point because it wasn't. You know, when you think the three kings arrive at following the star, you know, as in the Bible, and they go to the wrong house. You see, that's the point. You know, it didn't affect anything. They got the wrong fella and. Uh, it was that, and the Yanks didn't see that and to me even then we're going way back when that film was made there's one part where he says I want to be a woman and one of them says well you can't be a woman he, he, he said well I've got the choice I want to be a woman and that's today isn't it exactly how far ahead of their time were they exactly you know and when you look at it, I, I could watch the life of Brian forever. It, it's just, it's just a classic. And what made it for me was that the, the Americans banned it because they just didn't get it. You know, which made it even funnier. Well, you know, it was, a, it, was a, it was just great. That as thing. you know, I spent a lot of time with uh, the late great impressionist Paul Melba. Yeah. And it seemed to me very often anybody I liked, Paul didn't like. It was almost like you know he didn't like me liking other people and <laughs> you know what well, I mean it was the same with Anne and you know if, if we particularly like something um, you, you'd always get a negative it was almost like uh, it, it was almost like a slur on us liking him <laughs> which <laughs> which was silly but that's is comedies like that 
Yeah. I, I mean, I love to go to a show, and sometimes if, if I don't get the act, and it's not as funny as I think it's funny, it should be, um, I like watching other people, uh, you know, seeing people nearly choke with laughter when basically, for me, it's not in the slightest bit funny. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you that's know, right. And, and the infection of uh, somebody's laughter. I mean, how anybody can criticise or could criticise uh, uh, Ken Dodd when he was at his top, because basically... Um, you know, you only have to sit and watch the audience rolling round, aching, That's right. aching with laughter. And his brain must have been absolutely phenomenal oh. to be able to do that for three or four hours on the on the go. Amazing. He wore man. you out. He wore you out, Ken Dodd. My, my only criticism with Ken Dodd, and I told him this. I met him at Monty Monty Lister's. Uh, <laughs> is it Monty Python? Then? <laughs> Monty Lister's. Um, birthday 80th birthday i met kenda and i said the problem i have with you is i'm trying to remember the jokes they're like a machine gun and it wears you down <laughs> it yeah. tells so many and i said you're so busy howling laughing at the jokes that you you know when, when you've come out you can't remember one and you know, i like to say oh so ken Dudley told this joke about and i couldn't i couldn't remember well i but go he, back I go back to your neck of the woods in 1982 when I ran the uh, the, the Wirral first Wirral marathon, and uh, we set up um, the whole thing so that I'd raise money for the cyclotron at uh, Clatterbridge Hospital, and then the money was going to be given by cheque to Ken Dodd. So uh, we ended up getting 2,270 pounds, which was huge money for those days, and uh, then we did a, a show with Ken Dodd coming in as the person to receive the cheque and everything the highlight of the whole show and that was at the girls club in port sunlight and what ken dodd very very clever man used to do he'd use this type of um event so that he'd try his jokes and his girlfriend at the time would be at the side and each time he told a gag if it went down well it was ticked and if it didn't go down well it was scrubbed out a clever man very very clever um Right, now, right look, guy. we're going to go to music next, and one of the most stunning voices ever heard. I've got to say, I did hear this particular rendition that uh, you're going to tell us about, and I've got to say, um, well, there's a title, isn't there? Beauty and the Beast. So maybe if you'd like to pick it up from there and tell me about this absolutely wonderful moment, this magical musical moment. Well, normally... Each week, or the last few weeks, I've been discussing bad records, bad music. Only in my opinion. I'm not saying the music is bad. What I've discussed have been hits, made a lot of money, but to me, it's rubbish, right? That before we discuss that, this is only in my opinion, by the way, I would like to give a mention to a performance from the past by Yoko Ono which I was unfortunately subjected to on a recent TV program. Uh, accidentally, it came on while I was waiting for something else to come on, so I thought, I'll watch this. <laughs> it was a stadium concert with Yoko approaching the mic, backed by Eric Clapton on guitar, Keith Richards on bass, and, of course, John Lennon on guitar, and a big band behind them. So I'm, I'm assuming... That must have been the concert, and she was a guest artist, I'm assuming this. So, next to the mic was some bloke scraping away on a fiddle, playing at high speed, 
into the same mic as Yoko right now she comes on she didn't actually sing she just squawked in various octaves up and down she's no words at all and it sounded like either a seagull or a tomcat with its testicles trapped in the door that's how it sounded to me added to which was this fiddle player playing at high speed into the same mic you know so it was it was unbearable actually and I had to have if I, if I'd have been Clapton I'd have walked off I'd have just walked off the stage well what's going on and of course John Lennon looking admiringly at his love of his life which is fine but to call it atrocious would be a compliment you know but I suppose it gives certain folk the opportunity to understand the message she's she's putting over. This squawking and squeaking and squealing is obviously a message which some people can you know can, can understand. They're displaying their knowledge. It's like the Tracy M in unmade bed. You know, people see so much in it. You know, it's tripe, it's rubbish. You're getting kidded rotten. And I remember what on this on the off the subject for a minute. I remember watching a program many years ago on this, and they, these guys set up this art gallery. They set up, and <laughs> yes. they, they went into a scrapyard, put this big sheet down <laughs> of canvas, chucked paint over it, and got these kids to ride their bikes round and round it all over it, <laughs> and then they let it dry and hung it up in this art gallery and filmed people watching it and people were seeing so much you can see the seasons you can <laughs> see you can see what this artist is trying to tell us you know it's just hilarious but that's the trouble you see it gives people the opportunity to try and display a bit of knowledge that they haven't got and this this is what yoko must be doing because i've never heard i've seen it do it before the squawking yeah but not as bad as this and you know she's squawking away and Clapton's romping away and uh, Keith Richard on bass which is unusual he's he's bombing away and John Lennon romping away and the band going centre the dozen this fella scraping away on the fiddle and she's just squawking it was just horrendous you know I mean, you'd think Lennon would have a word, wouldn't you? Look, I mean, John, he knows his music. He knows his music, doesn't he? he you think he'd just say, you know, can you give it a rest, Yoke? <laughs> it's, it's, it's this word, besotted, because yeah. basically he was besotted by hair, and, you know, it's the power and the influence that a woman can demonstrate that she has over a man, because, quite honestly, it was the king's new clothes, it was Danny Kay, it was, you know, the kids standing by the road saying to everybody, this is absolute garbage, and everybody else sitting and applauding. It was garbage. That was, as you've highlighted, it was awful. Um, Tracy Emin, exactly the same thing. I was at the college. I'd um, worked as a sales manager. I'd gone back to study, and they were talking about this particular thing. And I remember I said it was just ridiculous. You know, there's a point which I can agree with, and that is that kids don't tidy their bedroom, and it's a disgrace the way they leave their mothers to uh, pick up everything after them and they're lazy and they do get on me nerves uh, so if that's the point that was being made okay I'll go along with that as far as your art critics are concerned I went to the Guggenheim in Bilbao 
and um, very very similar sort of thing uh, there was all sorts of things with people looking and you know making the comments and everything and there was a uh, fire extinguisher on the wall so I went over to the fire extinguisher and I was sort of putting my head underneath my arm and pretending to look and measure and see what I could see on this fire extinguisher <laughs> and um, give or take about another 15 minutes of doing this and I had a little I had a little audience all looking at this blessed thing you know um, but because basically people are the sheep as you say the sheeple Ooh. these are the sheeple I took on to see the Louvre you know we wanted to go and see the Mona Lisa there's a, a queue a mile long and when you get to the Mona Lisa it's the worst picture in the gallery you've got these most <laughs> wonderful pictures uh, of you know people have um, uh, they've drawn men on horseback and all sorts of massive massive uh, paintings which are beautiful and really good and then there's this little thing that the eyes are supposed to follow you around the gallery well you know okay and then uh, Anne actually complained to the guy she said that um, one of the um, one of the displays of the sculpture uh, gallery had been broken uh, so uh, I, I did point out to her that that was the Venus di Milo and that basically <laughs> it was supposed to be like that <laughs> but you know um, going back to, to people art and criticise and all that sort of thing um, you know I'd worked on Radio Merseyside I'd worked as a club DJ and suddenly there I was on this arts uh, degree and this woman's coming in to give us a, a classical music input so she used to come in with the most obscure songs, pieces of music that you'd ever heard. She'd put on the uh, tape player, or not tape player, it was, um, yeah, it would be tapes probably in those days. And uh, she'd sit back and she'd be in her seventh heaven. And then she'd switch the, uh, the, the thing off and she'd say, well, what did we think? And I said to her, well, quite honestly, I said, if you want to treat... Uh, if you want to get people into classical music, which is obviously part of the remit of why, why you're doing this, what on earth, I, d I did this privately by the way because I didn't want to uh, embarrass her, I said what on earth are you doing getting the most obscure pieces when you've got all this wonderful collection of uh, great classical music that you could easily bring to the light of these young people and um, you know I mean talking of off the top of my head the flight of the bumblebee um, you know all that sort of stuff you know um, go and get the classics and get the get the kids minds lit up with the classics and then when they've got their love of classical music then they'll find the obscure ones that you're bringing in Anyway, she she was uh, saying to me, well, "What do you know about music?" And I said, "Well, you know, I have worked on local radio, which is at the at the time that we're talking about 1982. There weren't many local radio stations. You know, I was on one of the. I was only the second local radio station, Radio Merseyside. Radio Leicester was the first. So to to know that I'd had a program on in those days, you know, it gave me a little bit of confidence to be able to say what yeah. I said." Yeah. No, I was um, I was very disappointed actually because I I, I went along uh, because I believe and I still believe this by the way that if you go to a university course you should attend every single lecture whether you like it or not you're there to learn and if you don't bother to go to the lectures the logic is that eventually 
nobody turns up and you'll get to the point where I saw a cartoon where I saw a, a transistor no it would be a, um, a record player or something in the middle of the room and surrounded by tape recorders I mean that's how silly it could get you know I think the whole point of university and sitting and listening to somebody's opinions is that you can challenge them as long as you yourself have formed good enough opinion and yeah, you yeah. should listen to somebody else I mean this lady didn't do anything to convince me um, that her music was anything other than fringe for me but there we are um, now we're going to talk well, about I'll tell, I'll tell you before we go on to the next subject yes. <laughs> yeah, I watched in the week ELO it had ELO Wembley or Bust this was Jeff Lynn's ELO yeah. doing Wembley I don't know if you saw it uh, I have seen one by Jeff Lynn and I thought they were really good Oh, th this Wembley Stadium was full to the brim he's playing to what 70,000 people it was fantastic the, the orchestra he had and the girls playing the violin there's a girl playing the violin I mean she was not only a fantastic violinist you know that you know that one she starts off with that big violin solo you know she was not only a brilliant she was beautiful you know she had it all you know what I mean you don't have to be that good looking to be that good and the girls on the cellos it was it was absolutely fantastic yeah and it was up for about two hours and it, it, it's it, you can't beat it because they have the eagles on the night after we're, we're, we're all right but jeff lynn the music the songs the production the arrangements and it's all him he did it all didn't he and fantastic you know when you compare these other greats you know that should i always think the beatles should have done what he's doing they should have carried on well jeff lynn did say that he was influenced by the beatles so yeah you know. But, you know but the beatles just sat down all day didn't they write a music they didn't do anything live well that i've got to say that. i've got to say dom that uh, what i've learned over my lifetime i mean obviously as a young dj on radio merseyside uh, when I think back, you know, to have had probably a uh, few outspoken views about pieces of music. So, you know, I used to always say what I liked. I didn't particularly criticise too hard, but I still think that what I've learned over my whole lifetime is the, 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 the way that really you listen to the music and you then understand the work that's gone into it. Because you and I can both play three or four chords, and if you do them particularly well the spellbinding but if you look like at the double stops during the uh, 50s rock and roll for example your Eddie Cochran's and people like that the teamwork was actually fantastic and what yeah. I've always tried to do since I've been in that situation is I've tried to uh, um, uh, when I've been interviewing these top stars I've always tried to find out what were their influences uh, a lot of them did come from going in the forces and learning to play instruments properly in the armed forces strangely enough you know when I've spoken to all sorts of really really first-class world-famous people 
a lot of them have done that. They went into, sadly, we've lost so many of them now, but, you know, they went into the forces, learned to play with a band and an orchestra, and then brought it later to the likes of the John Barry Seven, um, you know, uh, where they yeah. played simple music but done it well. And I think that's what I've learned more than anything else. Um, I think also when you look at uh, what we used to think were probably the top stars, um, by the fact that we've both been presenting our own shows and you've got to think all the time of how much stuff you actually do during a show. You know, you're presenting, so you're trying to light the audience up with some sort of magic to get them interested in what you're going to do. Then you're going to play it and then you're going to interact with your band. So that's, again, another skill. Um, and for me, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking which harmonica goes with which, uh, with, with which key. Uh, my guitar playing can always get better so you know I always I always now can appreciate what somebody can really do and I have to say that some people got away with murder over the early part of their careers oh. and they've, they've, they've managed to make a fortune out of it but that's life yeah. isn't it well I, I applaud anybody because who, who can make a fortune out of being bad you know, it's not a matter of being bad. It's like the ultimate example is what's the matter you? Oh. See that record must have cost about thirty bob to make, and it kept Vienna off the top of the charts. Yeah. You know, which is which to me, I I have to stand up and salute the guy. Because that's it. But I don't. No, no, excuse me, Don. I've got to say I don't because it is not so much that guy. It's usually a disc jockey or a producer taking music to a disc jockey and the disc jockey's power of playing the same thing over and over again. Now, this is interesting because basically I wanted to do a, uh, I wanted to do a research degree to find out the influence of words on the po population and the behavior especially of young people in the population and we talked in a little bit about this last week and the music um, I use that term very very loosely used by the black rapping people who basically um, I looked at the songs back in the 80s sent uh, paste, posted uh, pasted and copied the words in the 90s and sent them um, to the Prime Minister because I was that um, annoyed by what I was listening to and I think a lot of our problems today I'm going to be boring now but a lot of the problems today are because certain things certain boundaries were crossed during the 80s and I think when um, the uh, people that were researching all this turned around and said that we're talking about the plug drug when they referred to the television of course, it's not just the television, it's the extension, you know, all, all the videos, all the video games, etc., etc. I think there's a lot in this, and I think it's one day a lot will come out um, when people study the right areas. And I don't think they've studied the right areas, quite honestly. Well, yeah. See, I, see, I don't listen to rap. If it comes on the radio, we just switch it off. It, it's, it's of no interest to me whatsoever. You know, I don't criticise it if people like it, you know, good, but it's, it's of no interest to me. But, but hang on, Don, you see... Yeah, but we're old, you see, aren't we? We're old. Yeah, yeah but, but hang on, Don. You, you, you get a song like Sweets for My Sweet. Now, I know it's only three chords. I thought the searches did a fabulous job of that. I loved it. I loved it by the original Drifters when they did it. I mean, the simplicity, 
the timing, the harmonies, everything in that song was was a very good basic song. Now, along comes one of the rapping uh, guys who decides halfway through you put in a bit of rapping. And then this trend comes along to take good songs and insert bits of rap, which unfortunately means that I don't listen to rap. I don't like rap in the slightest. But I do like certain songs. And certainly you can get a song which has been a great song, a little bit of rap in the middle and... Thank God that's on. And get on with the rest of the song. That's the only reason why I say about the rap. Yeah. Uh, sweets for my sweet. Did, 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 did somebody put a rap in the middle of that somewhere? Yeah. Didn't... Yeah, and it was, well, it was something... I can't remember the name of the, the of the group now, but um, it was just... You, you know, and, and so many songs have, they've done that with, which uh, which is a shame, because... Yeah, well, the, thing, the guy that write, wrote it would get the royalties, wouldn't he, if it's a hit? Thank you very much, you know. <laughs> I mean, you can rap any of my songs any time you like, as long as it's, uh, the royalties come through. But, you know, I know what you mean, but, you see, we're old, aren't we? Sweets for my sweet and all that stuff back in the day were great. The 60s stuff is fabulous, 50s stuff. But, you see, I remember playing at a, at a do, and it was a there was it was a mixture. It might have been a wedding. I can't remember. And we were playing, and we were doing sixty stuff, you know, uh, needles and pins and all that. Now we went into rock and roll, and all the youngsters sat down, and the older ones would couple them with jiving. And I said in the break, I said to this young girl, I remember her face. I said, why don't why don't you dance to rock and roll? And she said, it's too fast. And I thought, oh. Never crossed my mind. Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you why they don't dance. It's because a lot of these young kids became lazy. And yeah. when, you, when you did the rock and roll, I remember having to learn this because basically uh, I went to the likes of Hume Hall and when the rock and roll came on, I felt really like a spare part, you know, and the old, whole idea of going to a dance was to maybe find a, a young lady. And anyway, I learned how to rock and roll. Now, unfortunately, it's the same now. People are now looking at, say, Strictly Come Dancing. Um, those that have not got a work ethic of any sort won't ever bother to try and do the dancers. I at least have been to the dancers. I've learned how to cha-cha-cha. I don't really like doing the quick step and the foxtrot, so I didn't bother doing those. But at least it's the dis difference between criticising. Don't forget, when two fellas and two girls uh, used to dance. I mean, I can remember, like you can, the first time I saw two blokes dancing together. I mean, it's like two dogs shaking, um, you know, shaking the, the water off the body. You know, they're not dancing off, these people. Then, of course, along comes the likes of the Northern Soul, and you watch some of these guys doing... It's like acrobatics. They bring along a little training bag with a, a, a fresh T-shirt and, and a towel and a pair of shorts, and they did dance. I mean, you know, and when you look back into history and realise that it all relates to the 1920s and the 1930s, you know, there's very little that's new. Although I will, will say, don't really get in... I'm sure you mustn't do anyway, but don't get into the habit of knocking yourself because you're older. My God, Don, what you've got to pass on to other people is amazing. And you, you've got to celebrate that because basically some kid could be totally and utterly wanting to do what you've done with your life and needs the inspiration of somebody who can talk sensibly, can tell him about the business rather than just the crap that goes yeah, on I at do. the moment. I do. I do. I tell young bands. I, I, I get them together and I tell them 
I give them the ex- I tell them how it is. You know, I say if you want to make money, you know, you don't go up and say, "Here's one I wrote myself," because the next line is, "Where's everyone going?" People want to hear what they know. And I said, if you want them to enjoy the music, play what they know. Don't try and be clever. You see, we have this uh, Cheshire Cats thing on a Wednesday night, and some of the guys get up and they do stuff. You see, some of the old guys, they're trying to find stuff that's, that's obscure. Well, it's no good, you know, and as I've always said, why attempt Bohemian Rhapsody when Living Doll will do? Yeah. Everyone will get up and dance to Living Doll. I've always said that. And you know, you play what the audience want, you don't play to yourself. And I'm still trying to unthink you doing the cha cha. That's mm. that's that's gonna stick in my mind now, mate. <laughs> all, hey, all day. I'll, I'll make it even better for you. I went with me cousin Mike. <laughs> And and me cousin Mike um, was, uh, you know, they were trying to make sure that everybody has a partner. And Mike was the only one that didn't have a partner. So he ended up with this big fella um, doing the cha-cha-cha. And, I mean, it was hilarious when you saw what happened. Anyway, we're going to talk about uh, an English rock band formed in Manchester in 1982 and um, I've got to say, I'll give you my input on this after I hear what you say, because I'm looking forward to uh, a group that um, you tell us, you tell us, Don. Well, you asked me to come up each week with with a bad song. Um, This week, I'd just like, I'm not going to put up a song, I'm going to put up a group, because they didn't make a good song in my opinion, everything they did was awful. And it's the Smiths. The Smiths, I never got them, never wanted to get them. Having said that, the band itself were okay. Now, I think what they did, or what it sounds like to me what they did, the band go in a studio, romp it up, do a, do a track, and it's good. You know, they can play, the lads can play. Then along comes Morrissey, the singer. And over that, what they've played, he just makes it up as he goes along. Nothing rhymes, he can't sing, he can't write songs. It's terrible. And one of the few things, as I say, when it comes on on the radio from driving along, change the channel. I cannot stand him. And it's the stuff is rubbish so to, to pick out one song I'm going to let you do it because it's all rubbish you, you just press Morrissey and, and the sniff, Smiths and it'll come up <laughs> Sniffs the Sniffs they're terrible I mean the band's quite good they just don't need him you know, uh, I got up, I went up to my bedroom, I read your letter, I was sickened, I was sickened I mean you know, shut up get him off, well apparently he was on the O2 in Liverpool and he walked down and somebody chucked a beer can which is wrong and hit him on the head and he walked off and that was the end of Morrissey what a waste of beer what a waste of beer Um, oh I'd like to have chucked that lad's hand it must have been a good shot giving you a a little bit of background then because basically I I can tell that there's a little bit of dislike in there (laughs) and uh, the group was um probably best known as Morrissey, Johnny Marr, Andy Rourke and Mike Joyce. And I'm reading are regarded as one of the most important to emerge from the British independent music scene of the 1980s. 
um, it was based on the fact that um, they, f they focused on a guitar, bass and drum sound, a fusion of 1960s rock and post-punk as a rejection of the synth pop sound that was predominant at the time. Now, what I will put in perspective is that I was being told at that time that there would be the end of the guitar and these synthesizers were going to take over. Wow. And I remember I went up to, um, don't forget, I went back to um, uh, college in 1982 to 1986. And basically, I walked into what they called the refectory, which is basically the DOS house where all the students got drunk and everything. And they were playing these songs by S the Smiths. And I thought, my God, this is utterly utterly crap i mean it really was the worst singer that i've ever heard uh, it was almost like you had a med melody and his job was to do a clear lane but try and stay in tune with his own brain um and he would sort of spring into the song with the most ridiculous lyrics that made the whole thing just a load of utter rubbish for me like yourself but the thing is you see it was student music and I do believe now, looking back, that it was looking at those times that I was uh, there as a mature student, I learned so much about what was going on. Uh, remember, this was also roughly the time to come very close to that when the miners were on strike and Maggie Thatcher came in and all that sort of stuff. I mean, the whole thing was a mishmash of nonsense. Um, the more I think about it, Dom, we were so lucky to have been born and uh, born near Liverpool, born in the time that we were born into and managed to have a, a career that has taken us through our lives with that as its base. I feel so chuffed that we did that and the likes of Absolutely. Morrissey, well Morrissey should have been uh, singing in a lunatic asylum, I mean, you know, bonkers. But then again, that's where a lot of the students should have been. I think they should have all gone and studied in a lunatic asylum because a lot of what they were being taught was lunacy. So, Well, I think they wanted to be theirs, don't they? I can understand this is our music. You see, personally, I like the electronic stuff. You know, I think... Um, oh, I do as well. I think some of it's great, you know. What's well, that the human, the what's human that league were brilliant, weren't they? Human league, human league, brilliant. And what makes them brilliant is the two girls. He, he picked them up in the club, didn't he? They can't sing and they can't dance. Yeah. But they're on the record, and it's great. It makes the record because they're not that good, you know. It's not. It's. I think. I think they're great. The human league and the other ones. Um, uh, oh, what are they called? Well, there's so many. There's so many. I, I mean, yeah, Ultravox. The electronic drum, the one beat all the way through is great because to me, that that's what a drum is. Yeah. You know, you get these drummers who are busy, and as I've always said, good drummer, good band, bad drummer, bad band. The drummer is the basics of the band. Yeah. You know, that's what you work around. It's the center, and I think the electronic stuff is great. You know, a lot of it is really good, and um, and and the versions. What's that one? Go west. Do, 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 yeah. do. That, who did that? The the, the electronic version, because the original version of that by the um, what would he call the? the, the, the yeah, oh. I, I I'm forgetting the name. Never mind. Oh, I don't play that, it very often, so yeah. But I do I do like that song, by the way. Go west by yeah. the original. If you listen to the 12-inch version, there's a break in the middle 
which is genius. The long version, it stops and it starts off with bongos and builds and builds and it's fantastic, you know. And the, the oh, I can't remember the name of the group. <laughs> Terrible, isn't it? Anyway, them. <laughs> no, no, they they were um, they were. Uh, yeah. Here comes <laughs> the night. <laughs> Look, Don. Stay on the line because I'll put the music on and we can continue chatting about this for a minute or two. Um, right. I've I, I've chosen a song which is all about you, actually. <laughs> you didn't know at the time, but it was called This Charming Man. Someone so high 